Hello, and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. I want everybody to hear this tape to think you already know who I am. My name is Grace. I am an alcoholic. Boy, anybody that didn't do well here tonight could fuck up a wet dream. You know, I mean, this is, I mean, the energy is just fantastic. I was thinking, you know, last night I didn't want to go to a meeting, and I, that's the meeting I usually go to, is the one I don't want to go to. I always tell people, I say, there's only two meetings you really have to go to, and that's the meeting that you want to go to and the meeting that you don't want to go to. And uh, so I went to a meeting I didn't want to go to last night, and, and I thought, well, I probably ought to, you know, go and listen. And, of course, I talked and uh, didn't listen. And I heard a guy, the definition of conference speaker is someone who would uh, travel 3,000 miles to talk and wouldn't walk across the street to listen. <laughs> Sometimes I think he's right. Um, But I'm amazingly not nervous tonight compared to, I mean, everything's relative, but it's like not too clammy and the hands aren't too cold and maybe that should make you nervous. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> I usually do good when I'm nervous. Uh, I came to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, 14 years ago and some months and uh, two days before my 30th birthday. And I think now, in looking back, that had something to do with the fact that I believed that I was going to die before I was 30 years old. And it just wasn't working out. And uh, some people come to AA because they want to live, and I came to AA resigned to the fact that I was going to live. And I had better, you know, I mean, it just wasn't working out. And uh, I thought I was going to die in a, in a red Ferrari. Is there any other kind? And... Um, Going out in the straightaway, hitting a brick wall with someone else driving. Um, and that was symbolic of my life. You know, it would be someone else's fault. Everything was, somebody, see, they did it. I mean, he was driving. I wasn't doing it. And um, I said after I came out, I was 10 years sober when I came out, whatever that is. And, uh, yeah. And um, it doesn't make me a better person, but at least I can quit trying to be a wife. <laughs> you know, bah. And I still don't do windows, so, uh, but I don't have to piss up off the toilet floor anymore, and that's nice. I always try to help newcomers identify with the uh, feeling of resentment. Um, it's like when it's 3 o'clock in the morning when you go and sit down in the bathroom and some asshole left the lid up, and you hit the water, you don't think to yourself, well... It's the first time today this has happened. You think, one more time, some son of a bitch is doing this to me. And when you're down on that floor wiping that piss up around the toilet, you don't think to yourself, it's a one-day-at-a-time life that I'm living in. I can do for one day what I thought would kill me if I had to do this the rest of my life. You think... God damn, I'm going to kill him. But you don't kill him. You just quit talking to him. When they come home that night, you glare at him. And it isn't ready. And it'll never be ready again. 
You resign from life. You resign from the marriage. You resign from the relationship. You resign. But you never tell anybody why. And you know why you don't tell anybody why? Because you don't want them to think that you're petty. <laughs> I heard a guy, he was on one of those talk shows. I've learned almost everything I know about life from a talk show. I love Oprah Winfrey. If she keeps losing weight, I'm going to quit watching. Um, somebody said, the way you dress, you look like Oprah Winfrey. I said, now you know why she dresses like this. It's flattering. <laughs> um, but um, this guy was a marriage counselor in a book, of course. They're always plugging a book in. And he said that he had a client that came to him, and he lived in a state where it was the law that you had to go to marriage counseling before they would give you a divorce. And uh, so the agenda was set, of course, for the counseling session is how many times do I have to come, how much does it cost, and when do I get my divorce? And uh, so he said to the man, he said, certainly the issues that you're getting this divorce over probably didn't just come up in the last month or two, you know. Uh, have some of these issues been going on for a while? And he said, oh, God, yeah, 10, 15 years. And he said, well, have you tried to talk to her about it? And he said, oh, no, I wouldn't want to hurt her feelings. <laughs> then the guy looked at him and he says, you've got her by the arm and you're dragging her to divorce court. Don't you think that hurts her feelings? And something that I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous is uh, I may end up in divorce court anyway, but we're all going to know why <laughs> before it gets to that point. And, uh, and maybe it won't be so angry. Maybe everybody won't be so hurt. And there's a chance of that. There's a line that's often missed in our reading, and I believe it's the 12 and 12, under the 10th step inventory, and it says between commas, which is someplace they often hide in the big book and the 12 and 12. And it says, what have you left unsaid today that should have been said? And uh, no matter how petty or small it is, and no matter how, uh, and I've taken that to, to task for me, and so often I see people that I don't even know, sometimes in Safeway or or, you know, at work or whatever, it looked really nice. And I think, God, that person looks really nice. And I go up and tell them, you look really nice. I really like that. That looks good on you. They look at me a little odd, but, you know, people aren't very nice to each other anymore. And I've found that if I'm nice to people, people are nice to me. And it might not be even the person I'm talking to, but that energy always comes back. And it's what I put out that returns to me. It's the natural law of the universe. And I can I can make some real choices about my attitude today by making the kind of choices that I'm learning to make. Uh, and I'm sober here a while, although when you get there, you don't feel like you are. I mean, I used to think, surely at some point you were right here. You know, I thought five years was it, and then I thought ten years was it, and I'm shooting for 15. And I, that coming in September, I'll let you know if that's it. But uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly... <laughs> Our Al-Anon speaker said, I just love it. It brings tears to my eyes when they read the promises. I said, it just makes my heart sink. <laughs> she said, fuck, not yet. None of that shit yet. I mean, come on. When's it going to be my turn? Um, but that's not true. Many of those things have happened for me, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, and sometimes for a while, and then they go, when they come back. And, and many of them, frankly, many of those I into the program, many of the blessings. I don't believe that only blessings come to people who stay sober in AA. We're all God's children, drunk or sober. And we're all God's children in or out of AA. I remember um, when I was fairly new to the program, I uh, I was reading spiritual books, uh, trying to, uh, the race for serenity. Um, you do that when you're new. You think, every time you go to a meeting, somebody talks about a book or read a book review and it says it's a spiritual thing or it's going to help you and whatever the current, you know, therapy is, everybody's out reading the book and everybody's talking about women who love too much and gay men think they're women who love too much. 
but, you know, fuck. I mean, special interest groups for special interest people with special interests. You know, all these things, all these workshops. I read them and I think, geez, if I had that many problems, you know, I don't even know I could stay sober. You know, I mean, but thank God there's a few of us in each room. Uh, and next year we all trade places and problems. But, um, and the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous is we're not all sick on the same day. And that's got to be God now. But anyhow, I was reading one of the books, and, and I thought, this guy wrote this book must end in an A. And I wrote, it printed in 1873. <laughs> and then I read another book, and I thought, this guy must end in an A. Like, I thought we had a corner on this thing. And all I found out was that they were simple spiritual truths that have been alive in the universe forever, and they're available to anyone. I heard a story one time. I love these stories. I don't know if they're true, but I always intend to repeat them as long as they serve my purpose. But apparently, um, I mean, not like I wasn't there, but I heard this story about from a guy who was there that there was a dinner in San Francisco or in Marin area. Somebody rich had dinner for Bill Wilson. There were a lot of perks in that in that you know, beginning. You know, it wasn't hot in the beginning, but he got perks along there. I sent me to a big dinner where I'm in the United a lot of people who were over a long time in A and also in the spiritual community to meet Bill Wilson, like 25 people at this dinner, and Krishnamurta was there. And he met Bill Wilson, and he was very aware of the AA message in the big book, and uh, and he said to Bill Wilson, apparently, at this dinner, he said, the difference between you and me is that I am a spiritual seeker, and you are a spiritual seeker, and um, I strive for the same perfection in my life that you strive for. But the difference is that I can stop doing it tomorrow and nothing in my life will dramatically change. But if you don't keep doing this for the rest of your life, you will think and you will die. So I have choice to do it or not to do it, and you don't. And I think we need to remember that. One of the things I uh, dislike about sobriety countdowns, they're done in the order they did this one. Uh, usually people with any brains at all start early and end up with the low numbers because then there's all these people cheering and red. You know, uh, I would have, I would guess, uh, that two thirds of the room are under five years sobriety. There's nothing wrong with that. But, um, I don't know where the rest of the people are. I don't know if they drank. I don't know if they went home. I don't know if they were busy this weekend. Uh, I have a feeling they're resting on their laurels, which is probably not like sitting on your ass. And, uh, <laughs> And I don't believe that time gives you a reprieve from the maintenance of the spiritual condition on a daily basis. And I hope that I never forget that. Uh, I have a sponsor in my program today who is active in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I just feel that it's really important for me to always remember where I came from. And that's part of what I may or may not ever get around to talk about tonight. Uh, I did mention I was gay, didn't I? Because, I mean, I was sober in eight, ten years before I came out, and I, I was sly to mention that stuff uh, prior to that. Uh, and, uh, I, and now I come to gay conferences and talk, and I forget to mention it. And I think, oh, God, do they think I'm straight? You know, I look at these long nails and all this makeup and shit. I mean, I'm not very political. I can't even get the lingo right, you know, but shit, what can I say? Uh, but I like girls uh, best. <laughs> Well, that was a popular statement to make here, wasn't it? Um, boy, this is the right crowd to play this tape to. Um, but the thing that I was explaining to a man that um, that I've known for many years, 
who I've known like on a sort of a semi-business level is how I met him, but you know how your two spirits connect. He's a New York Jew, and he talks as fast as I do, and we talk simultaneously. We hadn't seen each other in like maybe six or seven years, and I won't tell you the conditions under which I saw him the last time, and and it took us ten minutes to catch up on our totally, right? Both going at the same time. I said, what happened? And he said to me, well, how's it going with your sex life? And I said, well, I'm gay, and I'm this, and we had talked, and I, he knew I was like, bye, whatever that is, and... um Somebody told me that's just like an alcoholic who has, still has a drinking problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> that pissed a few people off. Uh, I don't know, but I know when I was by, I wanted to be st- really bad because I didn't want to offend anyone. And, um, and now I find that when I'm being true to myself, it's different than that. That's all. And I don't speak for anybody else. Anyway, this guy was talking to his spy, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I let him be. You know, I didn't tell him nothing of that shit. But, um, I mean, whatever you say. Um, but anyhow, he said to me, well, how did you know that? Finally, know that. And I said that the only thing I know to be the truth, and that is that I love men. I'm not repulsed by men. I never have been. Um, some of my best friends are men. <laughs> and... Uh, some of my favorite husbands were men. Uh, but there was, for me, that last level of the wall of emotional trust that I simply could not surrender to anyone but another woman. And I don't know the reason for that. My father would like me to explain it to him. <laughs> and I, I would be trying harder if we were speaking. Uh, That isn't easy for me, and I'm not laughing about it, but it's okay with me today because that's one of the freedoms I have today and one of the ways that the program has manifested itself in my life, and that is that I'm able to draw the people into me and hold them close to me that are willing to allow me to be me. I don't expect, uh, Lillian said to me, I don't expect the straight community to understand me. I only expect them to let me be and leave me alone. And I thought, that's all I want. That's all I really want from him is to just leave me alone. I live 2,000 miles away, and I don't live with him, and I'm not in his face, and I'm not any of those things, and I don't need to be told every Sunday that I'm ruining his life because I'm true to myself. And, uh, that is one of the main reasons that I denied myself for so long was what they think. And uh, I have to accept the fact that many of my brothers and sisters in Alcoholics Anonymous condemned me for ever coming out to my father. But I am finished living a lot. I am finished. I told him three years ago about me, and he never mentioned it again until about two months ago when I three months ago when I became involved with my current lover and told him that there was someone moving in with me. And it was like he couldn't pretend, you know, because I wasn't living alone, that it wasn't true. And then he chose to address it in a very vocal manner over and over and tell me that I wasn't okay and he couldn't look at me and he couldn't see me and blah, blah, blah. And um, and it was like I had to find a way to work that through. And many of the people that I talked to in Alcoholics Anonymous said to me, we just told you you should have never come out to him in the first place. And that was not what I considered a lot of moral support. Um, I think these are real-life issues that real people have to deal with. Um, and I had to deal with it. 
it, I don't suppose nothing I would have drank over. Because, uh, Jesus, I've stayed, <laughs> stayed sober through some shit you wouldn't believe. Uh, we may get to that. Um, <laughs> we may just get into general philosophy 1A if I don't get off this shit. But, but it's like what's happening in my life today. Somebody said, what are you going to talk about? I say, I'm if I know. Uh, I wish I, sometimes, I don't really mean this, but sometimes I wish I had a canned pitch where it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And, oh, what a cute, beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> Still be listening. Um, 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 and then, it, you know, it was like I would have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I'd know when I was finished, you know. It's like with me, I just look at the clock. It's been an hour. I'm stopping now because there's no place to stop because I don't start. And it's in the middle, and I bounce around. And, and uh, one minute I'm talking about God, and the next minute I'm throwing up in a toilet, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So I don't know. Uh I only know when I'm finished by the clock, so it's okay. But um, I always, you know, I'm wherever I am. And, and what that stuff has been going very recently in my life, and it's been real painful. And I don't come from a dysfunctional family. They're just fucked up. And uh, I decided, you know, they ain't going to die soon enough for me to pretend. <laughs> Somebody said to me, you know, my, one of my sisters, uh, calling me to check on what I'm doing because my father's a time. He signs people to call me to check on me, to tell him how I am. She called it on me and tried to pump me about what was going on. You know, it was just the same old shit. Game, game, game. And I just said to her, she said, your father's very old. My papa's really old. And I said, so am I. <laughs> and I, 44 years is about the time I'm willing to put in on his age of me. You know, I told him, 10% of the people in the world are alcoholic and 10% of the people in the world are gay. I'm both. It's a crapshoot. What can I say? I've worn out one signer already. <laughs> Every time we've been double teamed. I love it. I love it. Um, So I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and how I got to AA was I brought someone to an AA meeting because I thought she should quit drinking. Uh, I was in a gay relationship at the time, but I wasn't gay. Um, I told her, I'll live here, but I'm not gay. Uh, I'm probably going to date guys, so you better get used to it. And I never did date guys, but I wanted the option to date guys because I didn't want the label. I used to go on radio programs as uh, talk shows, you know, the call-in where the Baptists call you. Um, for women who had chosen an alternate lifestyle, and, you know, I'd do all that stuff, you know, and it's really easy to be gay when you're not gay. Um, just like it's fun to pretend you're an alcoholic when you really secretly know you're not one. Uh, and you can just sort of go along with everything, but when that surrender hits, it makes you want to vomit, you know. Somewhere along between a year and a year and a half, it dawns, and you really are one, and you are going to have to be here, and it ain't a, oh, I think I might go down there on Monday, you know, you're going to have to be keeping your guts out in AA for the rest of your life, like going through with this chain with a table and a chair attached and a coffee pot attached to your leg for the rest of your life, right? Oh. And you're going to have to stay sober no matter what, even if your ass falls off. I mean, that's depressing stuff. Um... Prior to that, you're just thinking you're making this intelligent choice based on information. <laughs> I call it the second surrender, but it has a lot more words than that, I'll tell you. 
and I was fortunate to be able to stay sober to do that. A lot of people go back out to drink and try and do that, but unfortunately, most of them don't get back. They talk about the revolving door of Alcoholics Anonymous, but unfortunately, they fail to explain to you that different people are coming in than the ones that go out. You know, it doesn't, oh, it swings both ways, but you always don't get to turn around and come back, you know. Uh, and I've seen it happen too many times. You know, I'll just drink for a week, I'll wait a couple of weeks, you know, I'll go surrender myself, you know, at the bar. Um, I heard a lady say one time, you know, you hear people who go back out, and I don't chastise them for it. They say, you know, I learned a lot when I was out there drinking. And I heard a lady say one time, if you could learn anything from drinking, you'd have been a smart son of a bitch when you got here the first time. So if I have a message to the newcomers, it would be you do not have to go back out. It does not take have to take you 10 years to get a year. You can do it in, in a year, amazingly enough. 365 days of not taking nothing. And um, if you really want to do that... And you, even if you really don't want to do that, do that. And, uh, and if you don't think you're an alcoholic, and maybe you aren't an alcoholic, it should be easier for you. <laughs> Something I found out very early in Alcoholics Anonymous was that I didn't want to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. I thought it was a great place. I loved the people. I mean, it was just like the bars, we smelled better. And everybody's, they're screwing around, they're, there's a whole cult of people doing orgies and S&M, and they got, they play cards, they gamble, they're compulsive, they go bankrupt, they do everything, it's all happening in an AA meeting tonight, somewhere in America! I mean, it's exciting, right? I mean, I thought, life is over now, I ain't drinking, that's it. Well, guess that's it, potlucks, bingo, and AA, right? But that is not the way it is. If you will listen in meetings, you will know who they are, and you're welcome to spend time with them. They will show you how to do anything and stay sober. I have done things sober. I was too good to do drunk. In order to get past being judgmental about those people, it was a spiritual exercise, you understand. I mean, the third time you go to an orgy and you wish you brought your knitting, you know it's not a way of life for you, you know? Uh, does anybody here have a TV? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it was a good shot at the girls, though. I mean, it's the only chance I got I was married at the time. So anyway, denial runs deep, let me tell you. Um, but anyway, my, we're finding out more than I wanted you to know tonight about me. Uh, this is not an audition tape for the PTL. Um, although it might boost their ratings a little. I hear they're in trouble. Um, I said when I came up here tonight, I was going to kiss the podium and say, if I ever got here, I was going to kiss the ground, <laughs> just like Tammy Faye Baker. But I, I'm too good for that. I don't stoop to cheap jokes. Um, <laughs> But anyhow, one of the things I found out is that a real alcoholics want out of AA. I used to go in my mind, I don't know about you, but when no one's around and you talk to yourself <laughs> and you listen, which is similar to chewing gum and walking at the same time, especially when so many of them are talking at once. But we have a knack for listening to all of them. 
It's like taking a group conscience in a room alone. Um, don't forget to call God to the meeting. <laughs> but um, my head would say to me, well, maybe I'm an alcoholic, but I'm not a real alcoholic. Because I used to hear people in me go, my name is Harriet, and I'm a real alcoholic. And I'd think, I wonder what that is. She looks like one. She sounds like one. She probably is one. And if she is, I is. And then I'd go home and I'd think, am I a real alcoholic? And there are three lines in the, in the, in the big book that almost threw me out the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you might have heard them at a meeting or two if you're an alcoholic of my type. And that is the phrases in Chapter 3 that read the real alcoholic. No, real alcoholic ever recovers control. And then another place they talk about alcoholics of our type and alcoholics of our kind. And I would think, well, maybe I'm a real alcoholic, but I'm not a real alcoholic of their type. <laughs> well, maybe I'm not a real alcoholic of their kind. And I never asked anybody what an alcoholic of their type was or their kind was, but I was sure I probably wasn't an alcoholic of their type and kind. And, um, and certainly I didn't feel like a real alcoholic. And... Uh, I frankly thought that, that a trick of fate, I had accidentally come to AA 10 years before I would have really had to quit drinking on genuine evidence. I mean, did any of you, rate, show of hands, of anybody who thinks in the beginning when they got here that they had a mythical number of years left that they could drink with some degree of safety? <laughs> well, good, I'm not alone again. And, uh, and, um, I mean, but these were secrets. I never talked about this stuff at meetings. I was clever. I was smart. I picked up on what was going on here. And I knew if I walked into a meeting of alcoholics and the honest and said to somebody, I don't think I'm a real alcoholic, they'd pat me on the arm and say, keep coming back. What would they say to me? You're in the right place, honey. Keep coming back. And I didn't want anybody to sell me Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't want anybody to convince me I was an alcoholic. I wanted to believe it. And believe me, I wanted to believe I was an alcoholic. I wanted to believe it was that simple. I wanted to believe it wasn't because I was immoral and a bad person and that there was a part of me that was missing and broken that would never, ever, I, that I couldn't recover. They talk about recovery and they talk about being restored. And I had all this emptiness that I'd felt from the day I could feel, that hole in the belly that the wind blows through that I've heard described so many times in AA. And I found out that I had tried to shove everything into that hole. And the only thing that fits in there is God. And God fit in there when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thought, could it be that I'm really an alcoholic, and they'll let me stay? I mean, I felt like that. And I would think sometimes at a meeting, I think, maybe I shouldn't talk if I'm called on, because there's probably a real alcoholic that needs this meeting, and I'm just a slut. <laughs> that smells better. <laughs> And it was like, you know, I mean, it was scary stuff. I had the good bad syndrome, the Madonna horse syndrome. You know, I had, I was like a converted Catholic. I knew the mass in Latin. I used to pray every morning with the nuns. Uh, they had put me in a private girls' school to, you know, kind of lock me up a little and uh, try and control my behavior. And I was going to become a nun and, uh, and uh, I was going to be a saint and like that, you know. And, uh, and then I discovered men and booze on the same day. And I went to confession shortly thereafter, and there's a part of the act of contrition which real Catholics will understand. No real Catholic covers, period. Um, that's not true, but it's cute. Uh, but it says in the act of contrition, I will avoid the occasion of sin. 
And I knew it wasn't true. I mean, I knew it wasn't true. I mean, if he'd been out there with that Thunderbird, we'd be doing the backseat outside of church. You know, I mean, I knew that. Because uh, it was a rush. I may not have figured out quite what was it about, but I was on my way to figuring out what they were writing them songs about and what it was about, you know. And um, I, I heard the lyrics to a song today, and it said, you know, you're trying to find love instead of trying to learn how to love. And I thought, God, that was me for so many years, so many years, just trying to find love, give it to me, fix me. Instead of trying to learn how to love, and in the, certainly the last years that I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've learned to love here. I'm not learning now, although it's a process, but I have learned to love here. And my, I'm sure that I, my capacity for that deepens, but I digress again. Anyway, um, I knew that I would, could not, would not, and wasn't even particularly interested in. I wanted absolution, but not at the price of avoiding the occasion of sin. And so... Uh, um, not being a hypocrite, I stopped going to church for the rest of my life, and uh, and I understand that that is true today. And I, I realized, I said, you know, God asked me to live one day at a time, but I don't think he can. You know, he's going to drag my past around forever and never quit reminding me of it. That was my mother that did that. I don't think it was God. I think he's got bigger fish to fry than that, you know, uh, than keeping a ledger on me. Uh and in Alcoholics Anonymous, of course, it tells us that our past is our greatest asset and becomes the golden tool that is available to us to help another human being. I realized fairly early on in Alcoholics Anonymous and was told this by my first sponsor that I did not come to Alcoholics Anonymous to rewrite the big book. I mean, we're told that we're brought here. You know, God brings us to AA. Millions of alcoholics die out there every year without ever hearing of Alcoholics Anonymous. So why me? Why am I in AA? Why are you in AA? Why did you get to sober up? How come you? And my answer is precisely because of who you are, not in spite of it. Not in spite of it. You haven't been given a gift out of pity. You've been given a gift of love from a loving God. And it's your job to carry that torch of love forward in your sobriety. I believe I was brought to Alcoholics Anonymous to bring my story. If he'd wanted someone else's story, he'd have brought someone else. And I never share in a general way, ever. Ever. My GSR in my home group, when the first year and a half I was sober, I asked him what that meant, and he went to New York and he asked them what that meant, because I was being told frequently that I did not share generally enough, and that I certainly wasn't spiritual enough because I still said fuck, and... Um, People don't tell me that anymore because they figured if telling me that would have worked, it would have worked by now. Um, but um, he came back and he said that the, that line in the book applied to the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the stories in that book were general for a specific reason. They were trying to reach a large group of people, professional people, to impress them with the big book. They even made the print big and made the paper cheap and thick so the book would look impressive. I mean, we're not phony or anything, right? Our spiritual leaders. AA comes of age. It's a miracle any of us made it. Um, it's a wonder AA hasn't been destroyed long ago by us. Um, but um, it was general because they wanted to appeal to the general public. And I believe that if we continue to remain in many meetings I go to, people are very general. Uh, very non-specific. You know, the, the meetings you go to where they say, I had a problem last week. And I was really in a rough place, but I called my sponsor and really got down one-to-one -one about it. And I'm doing a lot better today. 
And I think to myself, thank you for sharing. <laughs> exactly what was it you shared? <laughs> Halitosis, right? You must have had something to offer there. Give me a break. Give me a break. It's like if it gets any more general in some of these meetings, I think they ought to just break out a deck of cards and play pinochle. I mean, if you've got real problems, take them to a real meeting and appeal to the group conscience. Because the people, I'll tell you what, whose phone number you have in your book may not be home the day you have that problem. You better learn to share with God, and you better learn trust in the group. And I don't mean the people in the group. I mean that 12th tradition. I mean the only description of God in all of A's literature is a loving God as he expresses himself in our group conscience. That does not mean the business meeting. That means this meeting right here, right now, that is called to order to that moment. When we say that serenity prayer, God is called to this meeting, and we become more than we are. St. Augustine said, God is the more of me than I am. And true it is, God is the more of me than I am. And he is here, and you are more than you are. why it works. It's where the healing is. It comes one to the other. God's perfect love given to me, distilled within and passed to you. And that love from me and your love from God, distilled within you and passed back to me and on to another. It's the Holy Trinity as it truly exists. You, me, and God. And I can't do it without you. And God's perfect love to me in a monastic cell somewhere is stagnant water. It's the Dead Sea. And here we're given the privilege of passing it on and passing it on and passing it on and having it distilled and returned to us in beauty and we see it happen around us every day and take it for granted and take it for granted and that's good that we do take it for granted because it is our blessed gift from God I don't ever get complacent about the fact that it exists and I think that's different it has been granted to me I should take it as a grant and take it for granted. It is my just and right due as a child of God to open myself to his love, pass it to you, and receive all the benefits of that. And I think that each and every one of us can do that. And if you're not feeling that in this room tonight, you know, you just need to open up. I, I have a little thing that I do. I'm very show and tell. I, uh, you know, I'm like a real simplistic program. Uh, I do not chant and meditate twice a day and do Tai Chi. I am just... Give me a break. I had a hard time getting through Chinatown today, you know. But I don't put that down, but I don't put me down because I don't do it. And I don't think anybody else got any more spiritual program than I do because they do it. You know what I'm saying? I tried to meditate. I went schizophrenic. <laughs> I mean, all I could think of being quiet was everybody's talking to God right now. How the fuck are you ever going to hear anything I got there? <laughs> You know, overlooking Waikiki Beach, and I could see every hotel room, and I would think everybody in there is a person in there all praying to God at this one very moment, and he'll never hear me, that's that, I'm over, forget it, suicidal, instantly. So I don't try to meditate by any formalized means or whatever, but I can sometimes stand to be quiet. I don't do that as a normal exercise to see if I've grown. I mean, I don't see it as a growth. It's just like that's not who I am. So what? And... um it's so much easier when you quit trying to be what it is you think it is. It, 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 it. 
you know, when you think they've got it, so you run out and do what they do, and it makes you crazy, because it's what they do, and it works for them. It makes you nuts. Give it up. I mean, if, if you didn't come from a dysfunctional family, it's okay. It really is okay not to go to ACA, guys, or OA, or any of those things, if you don't have a problem with it. If you do have a problem with it and you're ready to deal with it, go then. If you're smoking tonight and you wish you weren't, do something about it. If you don't smoke at anybody, you know what I'm saying? Just if you're still smoking, smoke until you're done. I mean, forget it. Lighten up. You know, I went to a meeting the other night, and I mean, everybody got onto this like health care. And I said, look, I've been thin sober. I've been fat sober. I've been... I've I've smoked sober, I've not smoked sober. I mean, you stay here sober long enough, you'll have done everything sober and not done it sober. And what I don't like is you don't drink anyway, you know. And I, so what? I mean, it doesn't make me more wonderful. It would probably make me a lot healthier. <laughs> but then I still have a little death wish in there floating around. I mean, who wants to live ever? Give me a break. I watched the news two days in a row and I was suicidal again. I went, you know... Give me slow death, but, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll take slow death, which life is. You know, every day you're a step closer to the grave. Um, I don't care how you run. <laughs> you can run, you can jump, you can quit smoking, you can work out, you're going to die. And, uh, <laughs> it's a fact. You will cast off this mortal veil, I promise you. Whether it's Gucci or Mervyn's, honey. <laughs> Everybody's going. But it's like what I figured out is like, if I can just allow myself to be exactly who I am today and be okay with that, then I have a chance of being a better person tomorrow. But as long as I hate myself for who I am today, whatever it is, whatever it is, I will never be okay. Have you ever thought of that? If you're not okay with who you are right now, you will never be okay with who you are ever because it will always be something else. It's like trying to pass a final exam every single week, and of course you can never pass, because it's like you will always have an ever-shifting group of standards for yourself by which you cannot live. And nobody can do that to you. No one can do that to you without your permission. Nobody. If we only all of us knew how much vote we have in our own lives, it would terrify us because alcoholics never wanted responsibility for anything. Um, I remember saying to somebody, uh, one of my gay men friends, right after I came out, I said, do you suppose that I'm married? I hope none of them are here tonight. All those assholes. Because when I finally came out, I could blame it on them. You'd be gay too if you'd been married to men like I was married to. And he said, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. You're real sick. <laughs> you know, and I thought about that. That was always my pattern. You know, it's like I always wanted to be somebody's fault that I was doing what I was doing. Like, I'll go out in the Ferrari, but you will be driving it. They will know I didn't do this myself. Um, I could never have an accident. Um, I just never wanted to own who I was. And it took me so many years to be able to do that. And to be able to accept people into my life that can love me today. And accept me the way I am. Encourage me to change if change is what I want. And um, if I change my mind in midstream of the change, say, well, you know, who cares? I love you. I'm in a relationship today with a person like that, and it's, it's like I look and I go, why is she here? <laughs> I 
I mean, and it's just because she loves me. And it's somebody that really knows who I am. I mean, honest to God, knows who I am for years. And, um, and she just loves me. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm thin or fat or good looking or not good looking or I hate myself or I think I'm the hottest thing that ever breathed. Which I could be on all of those on a Wednesday. <laughs> including fat or thin, you know, <laughs> by my own standards or feelings. Um, but it's just that kind of acceptance, which is not, you know, the mythical, spiritual, unconditional love, because I don't think most human beings are capable of that for more than about 35 seconds. Um, and my, pro- my first sponsor absolutely promised me I couldn't do it, and uh, ever. <laughs> you hear about that old unconditional love? Well, forget it, honey. <laughs> You'll never do it. And uh, I found that that's basically pretty true. Um, I can't experience love with people just about anybody. And I have figured out how. I'll give you a clue. Show and tell. Um, it's like uh, if if I love you and you're right here in front of me and I and I love you, but uh, I remember how how I learned this was my uh, second husband uh, had left me for a 24 year old blonde in my home group who wasn't even a newcomer, and uh, I was doing um, I was doing martyr, uh, which I don't do well for long. Um, you have to stay far too pale, and uh, and I don't suffer well. Um, but I was, I was, I still had seven years sobriety, right? So I was suffering, and uh, in the slashing tires and smashing windows and doing the things I probably would do today. Um, <laughs> but um, I wasn't really sorry he was gone. But you know, it was like one more time I had pushed somebody to leave me because I didn't have nerve enough to address the issue myself. I had created the situation I wanted, but made somebody else do it. And, uh, and I kind of knew that, too. Uh, but I, she said to me, if he came, and I was saying, I want him back, I want him back. And she said, um, well, if he came back, let's pretend he's here. He's coming up the driveway right now to your house. And his, you know, his suitcase is in his hand. And now, what would have to change for the marriage to work? Because obviously it wasn't working. I said, well, not much. Uh, but I do know what, it, what it's going to take. And that is his attitude towards money, sex, and AA. What else is there? Money, sex, and AA, right? And she looked at me, she said, then you don't love him. And I'm sobbing, right, my heart out. And I said, what do you mean I don't love him? I'm dying over here. I'm dying for this man. And she said, well, I don't doubt that you're dying, but, or you feel like you're dying, but it isn't from love. <laughs> and she said, because if you loved him, you could accept him exactly the way he is. Because that's what love really is. And ultimately, in any relationship, that's what we have to do is accept other people the way they are in whatever transition they're in, including change. Uh, and God forbid, and um, God forbid they get better and you have nothing to blame your life on. Um, the worst day I ever had was when everyone in my life acted right on the same day. It was a low blow, I'll tell you. But anyway, she said, how far away from you does he have to be for those parts of his life to be okay exactly the way he is now? And I said, well, if I'm not living with him, it doesn't matter what his attitude towards money, sex, and AAR. She said, then that's where he belongs, he's not with you. And I realized that all I have to do is find out what distance I need to place between me and that person in order for the things that they're doing to me or that I find unacceptable to not matter or affect me. And it is a process, and it works. 
I said it might be arm length and it might be across town and sometimes it means just out of your life entirely the way it is with my father today. For the two of us, it's important that we give each other that space and um, not try and change each other. I can't change it and he can't change me. And it's okay to just accept that. Sometimes it's painful, but it's easier than the other way. Uh, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I didn't know how to make it through one day without drinking or using uh, mind-altering chemicals. I did, uh, I'm not a drug addict. <coughs> I never did drugs. I, I never scored drugs and, and used needles. And I wasn't in dopings, you know. I just took pills. <laughs> I didn't know whose pills they were. <laughs> I didn't care what I had to do to get them. I didn't care what kind of lies I had to tell. I wrote hot checks. I, I would go to your bathroom instantly upon arrival in your home. I heard a guy in Denver one time at a convention say that he was at a nurse's house and she had uh, a hypodermic needle and some ampules of penicillin. And he filled the ampule and shot himself in the leg and thought, I wonder why I'm doing this. And then he shrugged and said, well, maybe I'll get lucky later. Uh, and I laughed, you know, because it was like if up or sideways, I would take it. If you had a pill in your hand or a tent, I said, I wonder what these do, I would go, I'll let you know in 10 minutes. Uh... I'm just report, you know, I'll report. I was a reporter. Uh, and, uh, and I always drank. I never did anything to drink with it. I was a pig, period. Um, I used to watch other people drink. I, I very much identified with Dr. Bob's story when he said he didn't get over his craving for liquor for two and a half years and he used to envy his friends who could drink. I envied people who could drink and smoke pot and do all those wonderful things that I just wonderful things. Uh, and uh, and I would think to myself, yeah, but, you know, Grady, when you were born, you were issued 200 cases of scotch, 400 cases of vodka, 600 cases of beer, 20, 30 pounds of marijuana. You used it up. You're a pig. It's sort of like having a hot fudge Sunday. You run out of hot fudge before the ice cream's gone. It's fucked. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Nobody ever had to hold me down and pour liquor down my throat. I took every single drink and pill that it ever took to get me to Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's certainly who am I, who is to blame and who am I mad at? Because I can't take nothing. I was mad about it for a long time. And, of course, you go through that whole period of I can't do it, nobody can, and you try to soak the whole world, and some of them actually get sober. It's kind of funny. Um, you find out you don't like them anymore. You drank with them, but you don't want to be sober with them, and, and uh, they know too much about you, and you're not really willing to get honest yet with AA, and I want to rush into this thing and tell people who I am. And uh, But I know that I couldn't make it 24 hours without taking something, and... Uh, and I knew that I was, to some degree, I knew that I was in the right place. I knew enough to know that I needed something. And I knew enough to know that that something was available to me. I, I knew it was a spiritual way of life. I absolutely knew that that's what I needed. I knew it when I was 13. I knew it when I was a Presbyterian when I was nine. But I just couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. And um, it took many, many years in Alcoholics Anonymous for me to understand that uh, God loves everybody the same. And I, I liken that to, if we were all, let's say that the, we, could, we could probably even do this if we put our minds up, lift the ceiling off this room, 
But if we were, if this, let's just say hypothetically that there was no roof on this building and the sun was shining outside, this is hypothetical. And who would get the sun? I mean, everybody, would they? And they'd all get it the same, wouldn't they? Exactly the same. I mean, we're all here, and there's the sun, and we're all there, and there it is. And it's like, who wouldn't get it? The only people who wouldn't get it were the people that had placed something between them and ice. And that's how I see God's love. It is there. It is available. It shines. It is. It just is. And it's available to each and every one in exactly the same amount. Period. And the only people that don't get it are the people that put something between them and it. So they don't feel it. It's still there. The only difference between me and Charles Manson is that I know it and he doesn't. Period. I know that that perpetual spiritual energy is available to me 24 hours a day, always and forever. And it says in the big book. That's how I get these inspirations. I read the book. If you ever want to hide anything from an alcoholic, put it in the big book. They'll never find it there. Um, I heard that in Texas. Never forgot it. I love that. Um, But the fact is that it says in the big book that resentment shuts off the sunlight of the spirit. And if we can fully understand that it's just like putting a box over your head, and you just can't, the light can't come in there, you've made the choice. And you are responsible for making a different kind of choice and for dealing and for being angry and blaming and going through that whole process but letting go of the blame and passing into forgiveness and then to the final spot that any of us can be in, hopefully in this life, and that is the point to understand that there is no forgiveness necessary for anyone in this world, that we're all just human beings doing the best we can, and it is not up to me to forgive you for anything that you do. It's that final acceptance of you exactly the way you are. Whether it pleases me or not, that's not your job. That's not your job to please me. I love you because I don't know you very well. (laughs) And I'm leaving town in about 20 minutes. So lodge your resentments with your sponsors. Um... I didn't get into a drunkalogue, but you can just imagine how juicy it was. Um, but I am a firm believer that the mind cannot absorb what the ass cannot endure, so I will release you to the dancing. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.